0: In 2012, David Krupa was working as a mechanic and enjoying life as a bachelor, when his life was suddenly turned upside down. After a few visits to a dating website, David had no idea he'd become the deadly obsession of a woman with predatory focus, unwilling to let anything stand in her way. Join me now as we take a look into a case of an eligible bachelor thrown into the middle of a missing persons case. You'll learn how dangerous playing the field can be, and just how far a disturbed woman was willing to go to get what she wanted. Earlier in Dave Krupa's life, he enjoyed a relationship for over a decade with Amy Flora a woman he also shared two children with. But throughout their time together, Dave was reluctant to get married. Despite his Southern Baptist upbringing, somewhere along the way, David had developed the opinion that marriage was a trap. Besides, although they didn't have official paperwork showing they were married, Dave was a monogamous partner as well as a committed father. But eventually, Amy and Dave's conflicting views on marriage drove a wedge between them. Although they hoped to stay together for the sake of the kids, they eventually decided to part ways. Initially, communication between them was strained, but they eventually managed to pull it together. Dave was then left to pursue other casual relationships, and being the good-looking and charming guy that he was, finding dates was fairly easy. After settling into his new apartment in Omaha, Nebraska, Dave took advantage of all the bustling city had to offer, finding new friends and establishing a fairly decent social life. Living in the vibrant city of Omaha meant that there was no shortage of things to do. Home to the Henry Dorley Zoo, one of the finest zoos in the world, the city also features numerous world-renowned restaurants, bars, and music venues. It's also a city full of fascinating connections. The birthplace of the Reuben Sandwich, as well as the home of L. Frank Baum, creator of the legendary Wizard of Oz, a city as unique as Omaha is bound to have a smattering of interesting people. An ideal place for an unattached man to seek companionship. As Dave sought out women on a dating site called Plenty of Fish, he came across the profile of 37-year-old Shanna Elizabeth Gollier in the summer of 2012. Shanna, called Liz by her friends, was in a similar situation to Dave, single with two kids, priding herself on being a no-strings party girl. According to Liz, she was far too busy with her cleaning business, children, and pets to commit to anything serious, which suited Dave just fine. After interacting online... Dave and Liz decided to finally meet in person at a local 24-hour restaurant called Perkins, and by their fifth date, the relationship had become sexual. Although Dave found Liz attractive and somewhat exciting, he knew he could never settle down with her because their conversations were never particularly deep or meaningful. As Dave continued browsing through the dating website, he also began to notice Liz becoming more and more attached In fact, Liz would often ask what he'd been doing the night before, and would inquire about who he'd seen. Hoping to keep Dave's focus on her, Liz attempted to spice things up in the bedroom, showing up unannounced at his home, right before he was about to go out on a date with another woman. She'd then initiate a sexual encounter, and for a time, that tactic seemed to work for her. But by the third time, Dave finally caught on to Liz. He knew she was just trying to distract him. In very short order, Liz had gone from not wanting to be in a committed relationship to falling head over heels in love with Dave. In fact, it was more like an obsession. Liz began making it abundantly clear she wanted Dave to be in an exclusive relationship with her and did everything in her power to try and convince him. But Dave continued to make it very clear he wasn't interested. Telling Liz, you can be here or not, your call, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do. He even tried to convince her to start seeing other people, which she refused to do. What Dave didn't realize was that Liz was already in what was supposed to be an exclusive relationship with a man named Todd Butterbaugh. A relationship that had started two years prior. But Liz carried on pretending to only have eyes for Dave Soon expressing her disapproval, with Dave even seeing his kids, who were living with their mom, Amy, about 20 minutes outside of Omaha. Whenever Dave returned from one of his visits, Liz would be irritated he left her in the lurch, making comments like,
1: I see you spent a lot of time with Amy.
0: As time went on, Dave became annoyed by Liz's nagging and would abruptly break things off with her, only for Liz to spark things up again a few weeks later. After nearly a year of seeing each other off and on, Dave was beginning to grow weary of Liz's clingy nature, but kept putting off dumping her to spare her feelings. By September of 2012, Liz was getting desperate. She needed to change her approach if she was going to convince Dave to be exclusive with her. That's when she started pushing him to commit to a four-week stint without seeing anyone else. In her mind, she thought if she could get Dave to focus on only her for a solid month, he'd realize he needed to be with her and only her. Soon, long-winded emails and texts about a proposal started blowing up Dave's inbox. But Dave remained firm. He didn't want to be in a serious relationship, and especially not with her. Then one day, while Dave was working at the auto shop, a woman came in looking to get repairs done on her Ford Explorer. The woman's name was Carrie Farver, and Dave was immediately attracted to her. But Dave resisted the urge to get chatty with Carrie and kept things professional. However, Carrie never completely left Dave's thoughts, and he remained curious about her long after she left. With the drama of Liz still going on in the background, Dave continued to frequent the dating website, looking for other possible matches. Then one night, while browsing the endless pool of potential women, his eyes caught sight of one in particular. It was Carrie. There she was on the same dating site. He could hardly believe it. Unable to help himself, Dave immediately sent her a message, which she responded to instantly. Over the next two weeks, the pair chatted online, soon discovering there was a definite spark. The next time they met face-to-face was when Carrie brought her vehicle back into the shop for repairs, but this time, Dave wasn't about to let his professionalism get in the way, and he exchanged phone numbers with Carrie on the spot. Not long after, they made arrangements to meet up for dinner at an Applebee's in Omaha's Oakview Mall. That night, the conversation flowed as easily as the drinks they ordered, and Dave quickly found himself enraptured by the fun, witty, and attractive woman who matched his quips and laughed at his humor. 37-year-old Carrie Farver worked as a computer programmer and had been divorced twice. She had a teenage son named Maxwell, who she lived with in Macedonia, Iowa, a town located about 30 miles east of Omaha. Dave was having the time of his life with Carrie, and not even the flurry of angry text messages coming in from Liz could throw him off. Liz was demanding to know where Dave was, to which he simply replied he was on a date and would talk to her later. As Dave muted his phone and focused all of his attention on getting to know Carrie, he soon discovered she had a lot going for her. She seemed perfect. After dinner, Dave invited Carrie back to his apartment, but soon after arriving, Liz started blowing up Dave's phone again. While incessantly ringing his apartment security bell, Liz insisted she needed to get her things right then and there. Reluctantly, Dave informed Carrie of the situation and asked if they could meet up later. As she walked out of the doors of his apartment building, Liz passed by without acknowledging her. Instead, she rushed up the stairs straight into Dave's place to gather her things. After Liz left, Dave drove to Carrie's home in Macedonia, and the pair spent the night together. Soon, Liz's outbursts became a mere annoyance for Dave as he focused much of his attention on Carrie. Throughout the coming weeks, Carrie and Dave began spending more time with each other, with Carrie often sleeping over at his place after work to save her from the long commutes back home. On November 10, 2012, Carrie was shocked to find someone had vandalized her explorer with spray paint while it was parked in Macedonia. At the same time, she received a Facebook friend request from an account she didn't recognize. On November 13, 2012, Dave got himself ready for work while Carrie sat on the couch in pajamas. Her computer and work documents scattered around her. Carrie had spent the night again, and after work, the pair looked forward to meeting up. Carrie had been assigned a big project, which meant she needed to work long hours. She planned to stay at Dave's that week and made arrangements for her son to stay with her mother. At around 10.30 a.m. that same day, Dave received a text from Carrie's phone. When he picked up his phone to read the message, he was startled to see what it said. Carrie was asking if they could move in together. He'd just gone through the same thing with Liz. Now Carrie? Caught up with work and frustrated, Dave responded back with a single word. No. No. Then suddenly, another text came flying in.
1: Fine. I hate you. I'm dating someone else. I don't want to see you anymore. Go away.
0: Confused, but too busy to deal with it in that moment, Dave got back to work and ignored his phone for the rest of the day. When he got home that evening, he found no sign of Carrie. She and all her belongings were gone, and she'd also unfriended him on Facebook. Dave couldn't help but feel a bit baffled by Carrie's sudden change of heart. What in the world could have set her off like that? Was she just another crazy, clinging woman? Dave decided to write it off as a dodged bullet, regretting Carrie had apparently been too good to be true. For Dave, it was just another stone in the road. But for Carrie's mother, Nancy, the situation was worrisome. Two days had gone by, and Carrie hadn't called, not even to check on her son. Carrie also never showed up for work, leaving both her family and co-workers concerned. When Nancy finally received a text from Carrie's phone, it said she was moving to Kansas for a higher-paying job. Nancy was shocked. Not only had Carrie loved the job she had, her half-brother's wedding was coming up that weekend. Nancy and her ex-husband, Carrie's father Dennis, all planned to attend the wedding together, an event that held extra significance because it would probably be the last time together with Carrie's father who had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Nancy couldn't believe Carrie would ever choose to miss such an important moment, not only in her brother's life, but her dad's as well. But as the big day rolled around, Carrie still hadn't called and didn't show up. She also missed her best friend's baby shower a few days later, an event she was actually supposed to host. Sick with worry, Nancy finally decided to report her daughter missing on November 16th. But after she explained to police that her daughter suffered from anxiety and bipolar disorder, authorities initially believed Carrie had gone off the deep end and simply ran off. But Nancy wasn't convinced. Her instincts as a mother told her differently, and she worried Carrie could be in serious danger. When Deputy Sheriff Randall Phillips was assigned to handle Carrie's missing persons case, he attempted calling Carrie and locating her himself, but she never responded. When he contacted Carrie's supervisor, he was told she resigned from her position and had moved to Kansas. What the supervisor didn't say was that in her resignation text, Carrie said she was sending a potential replacement named Shanna Gallier. Although Liz did complete an online application, she was never hired. Meanwhile, posts to Carrie's Facebook page continued appearing, while relatives also began receiving strange text messages from Carrie's cell phone. While Nancy grew more concerned for the welfare of her daughter, Dave slowly became afraid of her. Only a few days had passed before Dave started receiving a flurry of hateful text messages from Carrie's number riddled with grammatical errors and spelling mistakes. Then Liz, too. When Liz began sending panicked texts to Dave, demanding to know how Carrie had gotten her phone number and address, Dave asked what she meant. That's when Liz told him that someone had broken into her garage and painted whore by Dave on her wall. Frantic, Liz asked to meet up with Dave to try to make sense of it all. Not long after, Both of them received an email from an account with Carrie's name on it, gloating over the handiwork in Liz's garage. On November 17th, Nancy received a message from Carrie's phone with the photo of a check signed by Shanna Liz Gullier for $5,000 to Carrie Farver. The message said she'd sold her bedroom set to Liz and asked Nancy to let her into her home to retrieve it. Many of Carrie's belongings were old. Handmade pieces passed down through generations, keepsakes Carrie had treasured. For the life of her, Nancy couldn't understand why Carrie would sell them. Immediately, she sent a text message back asking to hear her daughter's voice to prove it was her. What she received back was a furious reply, accusing her of being a controlling and terrible mother. All typed with poor spelling and grammar. Once again, Nancy was shocked. Not only was this odd behavior coming from her daughter, the messages didn't match up to Carrie's usual meticulous way of communicating. When Nancy outright refused to allow the sale of the furniture, the messages abruptly stopped. That's when Nancy decided to submit the photo of the check to authorities, once again begging for them to look into Carrie's disappearance. When Dave spoke to Sheriff Randall for the first time, He was surprised to learn that Carrie had actually been reported missing, especially since he was still getting texts from her. Soon after, Randall himself received a text message from Carrie's phone demanding he leave Dave Krupa out of the situation and stating that Carrie's mother Nancy was overreacting. The message also said she didn't care about the missing person's report and that she just wanted one person to go away for destroying her life. As Randall tried to wrap his head around the threatening message, Dave was becoming more and more concerned about his safety. Although he was frequently getting texts describing what he was doing and what he was wearing, he was never able to actually catch Carrie outside of his home. And no matter how many times Dave changed his phone number, hundreds of text messages and emails kept coming in.
1: My favorite thing to do is stand outside and say, We belong I together, so Dave. I will destroy your life. I will do what I can to make you suffer. We belong together, Dave. I will destroy your life. I want to drive a knife in your heart.
0: Even Amy Flora, Dave's ex, began receiving threatening messages, ordering her to stay away from Dave. As the messages continued to fly in, Dave and Liz grew closer, comforting each other through their shared nightmarish ordeal. In the meantime, Carrie's family continued to see updates on her Facebook page, including a post on May 18th that talked about her move to Kansas and her desire to take Maxwell with her.
1: I have answered enough questions to prove myself to everyone. I am done. You can either believe I am your daughter, mother, sister, and friend that you have known your whole life, or you can just leave me alone. I have proven myself over and over and I'm done. I left on my own free will and I am sick of everyone giving me a hard time for doing what I needed to do. I am not missing, I just don't want to come home right now. I am a grown woman and if I feel like leaving my home, I have the right. I asked my son Max to come with me, but you didn't want to, so when I am ready to come back home, I will. I am sorry for hurting everyone and just up and leaving. I know I have upset some of you, but I needed to do this for me. Sorry, and I hope someday you can forgive me. I love you all very much, but I need time to sort things out.
0: Carrie's first priority had always been Max. Nancy felt there was no way Carrie would attempt to uproot him. On December 7th, Dennis Farver, Carrie's father, sadly passed away, leaving zero doubt in Nancy's mind that something had to be terribly wrong for her daughter to be absent. Dennis and Carrie had shared a very close and loving bond. There was no way Carrie would have missed being there for him in his final moments. The same could be said for Maxwell's birthday that was just two days later. As months passed, Dave grew more angry and nervous. Posts and messages from Carrie's phone and accounts were now even claiming she was pregnant with his child. Something for a fact he knew couldn't be true considering he'd had a vasectomy ages ago. By January 6, 2013, the messages were intensifying and Dave received an unsettling email containing a picture of a woman tied up in the trunk of a car that appeared to be Liz. The email was from another one of Carrie's accounts, stating Liz would only be freed if Dave started seeing her again.
1: You will do exactly as I say, and then I will let her go. You will dump Liz and you'll start seeing me again no arguments about it as soon as you agree i will let her go somewhere i might give her phone back if you don't agree she will stay in my trunk and since no one knows my car we won't find her so tick tock you will call her phone and tell her you have to get rid of her leave a voicemail i will be having her play it so i can hear it if not then that's it she dies in my trunk so don't with me i am sick of her getting what belongs to me You can't play with my feelings, understand? Do it, or say goodbye to her.
0: But Dave didn't buy the threat and texted Liz the next morning to check on her. Liz hadn't been kidnapped and was fine. The first true breakthrough came on January 8, 2013, when Carrie's Ford Explorer was found parked outside of Dave's apartment. Little evidence besides a single fingerprint could be found, and it couldn't be matched to anyone in the system. Strangely, the car was surprisingly clean and well-kept, for what was now considered either abandoned or stolen. Dave and Liz agreed to allow police to have all the hostile messages downloaded from their phones, which by that point was literally in the thousands. In the meantime, Carrie's mother Nancy received an anonymous phone call from a man claiming that Carrie had been spotted at a homeless shelter in Omaha. With hope in her heart, Nancy rushed to the shelter with a detective, only to be told by an employee that no one by that description had been there. Six months after his mother's disappearance, Max worked up the nerve to try to contact her himself through Facebook. Surprisingly, he actually got a response.
1: Hey, little man.
0: A response that puzzled Max, never before had Carrie referred to him as Little Man. He replied by asking three questions. What's my middle name? What was the name of our first boxer? And who was my best friend growing up? He got no response. Despite the ongoing investigation, very little progress was made in the case. Carrie couldn't be found anywhere, and the messages were next to impossible to trace. Soon, even other women who interacted with Dave on social media began receiving menacing messages and threats to kill their families. On August 17, 2013, the case reached a boiling point when Liz's residence was set ablaze. By the time the fire department arrived, Liz was standing in the front yard and the flames were mostly out. Although her children were safe, Liz's two dogs, a cat, and a snake were found dead inside. Detectives later learned Liz had actually been evicted from the residence and had moved in with Todd Butterbaugh and Council Bluffs a month before the fire. It's unclear why her animals were still in the residence. Firefighters also found at least six different points of origins for the fire, as well as accelerants which quickly had them determine the fire was intentional. Liz told police Carrie had sent her a message in the early morning hours before the fire that she hoped she and her children burned to death. The night before, Dave also received an email from an account with Carrie's name stating,
1: I am not lying. I set that nasty whore's house on fire. I hope the whore and her kids die in it.
0: Liz told officers about the stalking and her growing fear of the woman who was so possessive over Dave. After nearly four years, detectives Jim Dotty and Ryan Avis asked to be reassigned to re-examine Carrie's case. The duo planned to attack it from two different angles, one trying to prove that Carrie was still alive and sending all the messages, while the other tried to prove she was no longer alive and the messages were coming from someone else. During the time Carrie was missing, her bank accounts were mostly untouched and her car and all of her possessions were abandoned. Carrie was also never seen. It was also estimated that Dave had received roughly 15,000 emails and upwards to 50,000 text messages, all from Carrie's phone and social media accounts. Thanks to access to Dave and Liz's phones, detectives were aware of the strained relationship between the two and the bizarre love triangle that had created the whole mess. They couldn't help but be intrigued by the level of intensity in Liv's older messages to Dave. That's when they also rediscovered the photo Dave had received of Liz's faked kidnapping and were able to figure out the picture had been taken by an LG Spectrum cell phone, exactly like Liz's phone. On May 8th, Jim Dottie personally paid a visit to Carrie's mother Nancy to tell her the news she'd been hoping for that he didn't actually believe Carrie had disappeared on her own volition, and that foul play was involved. Nancy hugged him tightly. Finally, someone believed her. On Memorial Day weekend in 2015, Detective Avis found another interesting clue. Liz had made six calls to a landline in 2013 on November 6th and 7th, punching in star 67 to block her number all calls were made to Carrie's home number. Liz's phone also contained pictures of Carrie's car taken on Christmas Eve 2012, two weeks after Carrie was reported missing. Jim Dottie ordered a re-examination of the lone fingerprint lifted from Carrie's car and compared it to Liz's fingerprints from her file, and lo and behold, it was a match. By that point, David told Liz he needed to end things with her because he had another relationship that had become more serious. The morning after Thanksgiving in 2015, Dave awoke to a flurry of angry text messages from women scolding him for hurling insulting text messages at them, including an old high school flame he hadn't spoken to in years. All of the text had come from his phone. It was then Dave realized his stalker had access to his bedroom, and had stood over him, frantically texting his female contacts as he slept. That's when things also began going missing from his apartment, including his 9mm pistol. The stalker, who he believed was Carrie, was now closer than she'd ever been. Ryan Avis and Jim Dottie had decided they needed to speak with Liz, but before they could set up a time, she suddenly appeared at the station on December 4th, 2015. She was there to file harassment charges against Amy Flora, the mother of Dave's children. Apparently, she'd suddenly began receiving threatening messages, now from Amy. Playing dumb, Detective Avis pretended he knew nothing about Carrie Farver, Amy Flora, or Dave Krupa. Who's your expert? For? Dave Cooper. Dave
1: Cooper? R O U P A.
0: And he has kids with Amy. Mm-hmm.
1: Not even two days after he broke up, his apartment was broken into and his gun was stolen. So I, I told the police officer I was kind of worried that since she had the key to his apartment. <laughs> like I said, they only dated for two weeks and I don't understand why a person would still be stalking him almost three years later.
0: Carrie and Dave dated for two weeks? Mm hmm. And
1: she supposedly is the one stalking for three, three years. I, don't know. I would find it more reasonable to believe that his kid's mom is one.
0: That's when Liz insinuated she suspected Amy Flora of being the one stalking her and Dave all these years, not Carrie. She even suggested she thought Amy had been the one who had stolen Dave's gun. Liz gave him the information. Anxious to continue with the harassment charges, she also signed another consent form for detectives to download all the messages sent to her. The files were then handed over to Digital Forensic Administrator Tony Cava. On December 5, 2015, a 911 operator received a frantic call from a woman in Big Lake Park. The woman was Liz Gullier, and she was screaming. She'd been shot in the leg by a female assailant, and she was bleeding badly.
1: She was one severe emergency. I've been shot in the leg. Oh, my my don't leg is filled with blood. Oh, Jesus. the assailant still nearby? I don't think so. I took off running. Do you know what she looked like at all? No, she's behind me.
0: When Liz was found by paramedics, she was pale and disoriented, but surprisingly able to clearly identify the perpetrator as Amy Flora. When authorities rushed to confront Amy at her home, she was brought in for questioning and asked to submit to a lie detector test. Terrified and nervous, Amy failed the test while investigators aggressively pushed for answers. After talking to neighbors, detectives were able to confirm Amy had been home all evening with her infant son and was finally released. Although they were able to determine Amy couldn't have been the shooter, they still had to figure out who was. But before they could get an answer to that burning question detectives requested consent again from both Liz and Dave to download the contents of their phones. From Dave's phone, they discovered that many of the emails he'd received from Carrie's accounts had been sent from Todd Butterbaugh's IP address. On Liz's phone, they found deleted files and burner email accounts in Carrie Farver's name used to send hundreds of messages and threats to both herself and Dave. Upon this discovery, search warrants were immediately sent to nearly a dozen social media sites where profiles have been used under Carrie's name. A total of 3,000 hours were put in to examining all the uncovered evidence. This case was beginning to become far too bizarre to even comprehend. Two weeks after Liz's 911 call, Jim invited her to his office on December 14, 2015. He told her that remains have been found, and that they believed they were Carrie's. But none of it was true. Detectives were just trying to get Liz talking. The case is regarding, uh, Carrie Farber. Are you familiar with her?
1: Barely even know her.
0: Yeah, I yeah. ran
1: into her one time. Okay, okay. Just bypassing her, going into Dave's apartment to pick up my stuff. we
0: have had a pretty significant break in the case. Okay. okay. Um... There have some been some remains that have been located. Okay. The initial indication is that these remains are Carrie.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. Is there anyone that you think would want to hurt Carrie?
1: I didn't know her long enough to know if anybody wanted to hurt her. She was with him for 12 years. And she still goes in and out of his life all the time. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you think she could have a person that did some of that stuff to uh, I'm
1: just saying, as a, another person who would be possessive of Dave, it would be her.
0: In my head, I'm thinking if she was bold enough to go and then shoot you, okay, she could easily be bold enough to have done something to Carrie. That's like gold to me if we had something like that, because then we could start building a case. In January of 2016, Jim and Ryan took Dave aside and told them they believed Liz had been the one sending the messages and threats. They also believed Amy and his children's lives were in serious danger. But Dave found it difficult to believe, especially since both he and Liz had received messages from Carrie's phone and accounts while they sat beside each other on the couch. Detectives explained that after analyzing Liz's phone, they discovered she was registered to over 20 fake email addresses, all of which contained some variation of Carrie's name. She was also using an app, ...that allowed her to schedule future messages, another that disguised her IP address. On average, detectives estimated Liz had spent anywhere between 40 to 50 hours a week impersonating Carrie for four years. It was baffling to even begin to think how she'd managed to keep all her lies straight for so long. Dave took the detective's advice and temporarily moved in with his ex Amy to protect his family which only infuriated Liz. Upset they still hadn't arrested Amy after claiming she'd shot her, Liz called detectives, agitated and crying, demanding to know why. Detective Jim Dottie told Liz that although he believed her, they needed her help pinning something on Amy. That's when he suggested she should try reaching out to Amy in hopes she might reveal details about murdering Carrie. See if you could kind of push her... Uh, for some more info on the Carrie thing, what she did to Carrie. So you
1: guys want me to try and email her back?
0: Liz forwarded emails to Jim from an account with Amy's name, describing in detail how Carrie had been murdered.
1: I don't want proof on my phone that I am talking to you, Liz. Outlook got deleted, so I made this hotmail one. I did meet up with Carrie at the local place here in Council Bluffs. I have family that won't let me go to jail. So when I met Crazy Carrie, she would not stop talking about Dave and him being her husband. She tried to attack me, but I attacked her with a knife. I stabbed her three to four times in the chest and stomach area. I took her out and burned her. I stuffed her body into a garbage bag with crap. She was carried out to the dumpster, probably when Dave took out my garbage for me. So be glad I did not do you that way, Liz." I will never admit this to Dave or police, no one. Maybe I am drunk now and just telling lies to you. Dave will always take care of me and protect me, so I will never go to jail when I followed you that night I shot you. Made sure I called Dave and text him for my alibi, so you can never prove it was me, even though I can get into Dave's place with the key. Now I have him back with me, and you're out of the picture, Liz. All of your crap didn't keep me from him, I drove Carrie out to the woods. She was still begging for her life, crying, wanting me to let her go. After I killed Carrie, I contacted her mom, Nancy, pretending to be Carrie.
0: Liz also forwarded an email of Amy confessing to shooting Carrie.
1: I shot you, Liz, to make sure Dave stayed away from you. I used our kid's key to break in and get on his phone with the code we both use. That's when I took his gun and some ammo. I got rid of the gun. Look. The police haven't arrested me. No one has proof it was me. So you're screwed, Liz, and better stay away from Dave or next time it will be worse for you.
0: But Jim Dotty explained they needed more information only the killer would know to be able to arrest Amy within hours. Another confession email was forwarded to detectives from Liz, appearing to be from Amy again.
1: I got a hold of Carrie and we drove in her car. I reached over and stabbed her in the stomach. When I killed Carrie, you know, she begged me to call Dave at work before she died. I remember when I killed Carrie, that she had a yin-yang sign on her left thigh.
0: Because the murder had likely taken place within Omaha City boundaries, cold case homicide detective Dave Schneider was brought on board but he needed a reason to get Liz into their office. A few ticket violations was enough. But once Liz was at the sheriff's office, Schneider told her point blank the real reason she was there. The reason why you're in this chair right now today is because you have a lot of questions that you need to answer for. Um, Her phone was at your house right after she disappeared. I want to ask you how you can explain that to me,
1: Liz. She's never been to my house.
0: Your fingerprints are inside her vehicle. How would your fingerprints be inside her vehicle? I don't
1: know,
0: because I've never been in her car. You drove her car.
1: No, I didn't. I've never been inside her car. I've never even been around her car. Ever.
0: Your fingerprints are in there.
1: No, I haven't.
0: For years and years, people have been um, sending emails under Carrie's fictitious accounts. The IP addresses show up to whose house? Your
1: house, no, your not. house, and I'm not going to be accused of something that I didn't
0: do. While Liz was denying even having internet, detectives Dottie and Avis were in the midst of securing a search warrant for her home. Once inside her apartment, detectives located several of Carrie's belongings, including a digital camera and camcorder. The camcorder contained a video Carrie recorded about her car being vandalized a few days before she went missing. Meanwhile, the blood from Carrie's explorer was matched with her existing DNA. Sadly, it came back as hers. They now knew that Carrie had in fact been murdered in her car, and were pretty certain Liz was the killer. On December 22nd, Liz was arrested for first-degree murder, but without a body, the case would be hard to prove. Liz's bail was set for $5 million and her trial set for May 2017. Miraculously, just before Liz's trial went to court, Dave remembered a tablet he had in storage, which he turned over to investigators. On the SD card, they uncovered a veritable goldmine of information, including deleted photos of a human foot with a tattoo, a Chinese symbol for the word mother identical to the tattoo Carrie's family confirmed, she had on her foot. During Liz's trial, her seasoned attorney argued that without a body, there was no proof of a murderer. Prosecution called Dave Krupa to the stand to read just a few of the text and emails Liz wrote to any woman who dared to get close to him. I'll kill her. She stole my heart. She broke my dream. She stole my future when she took you away from me. That die
1: did you ever hear carrie farver's voice
0: negative Did
1: you ever see her in person negative so all the times you went looking for her around your apartment building and had everybody else looking for her, you never actually saw her
0: if i had this would have been over a long time ago the photo of the foot recovered from the sd card was also shown during the trial determined by a forensic analyst to be a foot in a state of decay
1: these are trophy pictures and then they, they memorialized the heinous acts as if it were some kind of an accomplishment for her.
0: However, the defense continued to argue there was still not enough evidence to prove there had even been a murderer. Can you say that that was a, a, an image of a body part of a victim who was stabbed to death? That doesn't tell us the cause of death. That doesn't say the matter of death. And judge, those are what you need in a murder case. However, the evidence on the prosecution side was still very strong. In spite of the crucial lack of remains, they remained confident in their accusations.
1: This was such a convoluted, complicated, extensive scheme to intercept Carrie Farber, murder her, and dispose of her body. It included the defendant even making police reports claiming she was the victim uh, of crimes Carrie Farver perpetrated on her.
0: Judge Timothy Burns heard both sides of the case, and on May 24, 2017, made it clear what he thought had happened to Carrie Farver. Carrie Farver did not voluntarily disappear and drop off the face of the earth. Very sadly, she was murdered. The judge found Shanna Liz Gullier guilty on all charges, including the premeditated first-degree murder of Carrie Farver. She was then sentenced to life in prison at the Nebraska Correctional Center for Women in York, Nebraska. All this, despite Liz never revealing where Carrie's remains were. Since then, Liz made another appeal, which was denied in 2018. The extremes Liz went to in order to secure a relationship with Dave Krupa had many people wondering about her past. Was this something she'd done before? How did she become such an obsessive person? Talented author Leslie Rule discovered Liz spent the better part of her childhood bouncing around in the foster care system in Michigan. That was after her mother died in a fatal car accident. Although her father was still alive, he was abusive and unable to care for Liz and her brother. Eventually, Liz was placed with a couple named Ronald and Teresa Gullier in Battle Creek, Michigan. The Galliers were the ones to give Liz her middle name, Elizabeth. When Liz was 18, she gave birth to her first child, Cody, with her boyfriend at the time, Glenn Herr. Sadly, Glenn later shook their infant son to death and was sentenced to 8 to 25 years in prison. In a desperate bid for a fresh start, Liz moved to Omaha, Nebraska. But as you've come to learn, Liz was destructive with her second chance at a new beginning, Her future now secured behind bars. In this bizarre case with all its twists and turns, fake profiles, and a multitude of lies, it's easy to get distracted from what is actually reality. And that is that Carrie Farver's life was ripped away from her and her family.
1: She's got a life sentence now, but she also gave everybody else that loved Carrie a life sentence. She took Carrie's life... She gave my grandson a life sentence of not having his mother there. And all of the people that love her, we have to live with the nightmare that we have lived with for so long.
0: For Carrie Farver, justice may have been served in a small way, but without a body to lay to rest, closure will never fully find her heartbroken family. Though their lives were shattered with their disappearance and ultimate death, they continue to carry on the memory of Carrie. A loyal friend, a loving daughter, a devoted mother. When asked how she wanted her daughter to be remembered, Nancy told ABC News she wanted Carrie to be remembered as the fun-loving, talented, smart woman that she was. If I could talk to you, Carrie, right now, Nancy said, I'd say I love you. I'm so glad that you're in my life. You have a beautiful son who's got a wonderful life coming. And I miss you terribly... I want to give a special thank you to Sammy Taylor for giving a voice to Liz's messages. The Minds of Madness can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and all other podcast platforms. Ad-free episodes of this show are available... On Stitcher Premium. If you would like to support this show and get some extra perks, including extra content, early release, and ad-free episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. You can find our website by going to mindsofmadnesspodcast.com. To find us on Facebook and Instagram, search The Minds of Madness, and on Twitter using the handle at madnesspodcast pod. And finally, the closing track, Feel the Madness, is provided by The Funkores. You can find them at the record label's website by going to goldenerrorrecords.com.au slash G-E. I can
1: feel the madness, someone's standing at my door, I hope they can't get in cause I'm not prepared to run, I can feel the madness, someone standing at my door, I heard they can't get in cause I'm not prepared to run.